Welcome everyone, this is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health and today we're in for a real treat. A good friend of mine, Peter Sullivan, who is a former canary for EMF and is also an articulate activist and spokesman to help people and you understand why it's damaging you. And he uh, is an interesting guy and you'll, you'll fall in love with him in, in a moment, but you know, I've, uh, he brings this traveling EMF free tent to events that we speak at. And he just, it's just gives the people, people an experience what it feels like to not be bombarded by EMF. So thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today and, and welcome. Yeah, it's my honor to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. So what, you know, I know your story, but why don't you share a little bit about how you first became interested in this area and, uh, you know, develop your expertise. Um, I, uh, I've been, in, I'm in Silicon Valley right now. I'm in Los Altos Hills in this, uh, in this house. And I've been here since 1990 in this area. So I was working at, I've worked at multiple companies in Silicon Valley. I started Silicon Graphics. I worked at another company called Excite, Interwoven, um, uh, and Netflix. I think most people would know my work at Netflix. I was, I worked my way up, uh, from a, uh, customer support person to engineer to software designer got a master's in uh, computer science with an emphasis on human-computer interaction. So my, my passion in the mid-90s as I was going to school and, and um, was personal technology. I really liked seeing things go from the computer scale down to things that you could put in your pocket, put on your body, like the aura ring, mm -hmm. et cetera. And um, so I had all the gadgets. Uh, I even had some of the wearable tech in the mid-90s, some things measuring your heart rate and um, and was writing papers about this at Stanford. And I, so I, I was getting exposures to these things way earlier than most people. And also one of my jobs that in, when I was working at Interwoven, I was next to a military base that it turns out was a, it was Ozanaoka Air Force Base. It turns out it was a space radar under this blue cube. And I was getting really hammered by the space radar. I was one of the closest people to the space radar and getting hit by that. And my health was, I was doing everything right health-wise. I was eating well, I was exercising. And my health just kept declining and I kept you know, having issues with fatigue, et cetera. So you know, I got hit with this about probably, I would say maybe 10 years, the exposures that people are getting now, I was getting probably about 10 years ago. Uh, and so it really took me a long time to figure it out. I would say it probably took me 10, 15, 10 12 years to really sort out and accept that this was a factor. And you're uh, a smart guy. <laughs> well, I, well, yeah, and I, I thank you. That's nice to say, but I, um, I feel like I honestly did everything backwards. So you're natural, even, and this is there are some really, really brilliant people out here, and you're, and they're they're all making this mistake. We're all making this mistake and um, and making assumptions. I think one of my big breakthroughs was was watching some of the climate change people talking about. Uh, you know, people working for the energy industry in Texas and saying, well, they're denying it because they're getting paid by the industry. And I said, well, I need to really be objective. I don't want to be that person who, who doesn't look at their own stuff. And so I started including EMF in, in the environmental factors and the, you know, the health factors that I was looking at. And it, it turned out, and I, honestly, I didn't do that mentally first. I did it because I started feeling things. So my brain was, my brain was telling me, I love this stuff. This is all great stuff. It's really fun. And my body was saying, oh my God, I don't like that. I'm, you know, whatever. So it was a really strange, it was a strange thing and you feel kind of weird about it. Um, 
Uh, I remember putting a cell phone next to my head one time and just you know feeling that and and a couple times crawling under the desk and plugging in a transformer and getting a headache and feel, feeling kind of wishy and weird on that on that front. So it took several years to get to the point where I started accepting that this was a, a thing. Um, I think I was more focused on at that time, I didn't perceive it as being EMF, I perceived it as being noise. So I was getting a little bit of tinnitus or microwave hearing, I could start to hear little noises would annoy me. So if you're in this camp where you're um, flickering light is annoying you or noise is starting to get kind of an issue. You don't like fan noise and these sort of things, harsh noises. You're probably, you know, getting into this realm, especially if you're having sleep disruption. Um, and so, yeah, so basically I thought I was doing everything right in about 2009, eating well, exercising, trainer, everything, you know, uh, avoiding toxins, mm -hmm. avoiding I really was focused on toxins for a long time. That was what I thought was the main thing for probably about uh, eight, eight years or so. Um, and then, and then even after, I mean, I, I checked all the boxes. I was avoiding everything, doing everything. And, and clearly there was something was still going on. Um, and I would got down right now. I'm about 157 pounds. I was down to 131 and mm. pretty skeletal. And how uh, tall are you? I'm 5'10". Okay. So looking pretty skeletal, I had a friend see me down the street, you know, walk, walking down the street and said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm okay. I'm, you know, I'm doing fine. I'm doing, you know, I'm doing this, I'm exercising, I'm so-and-so, and I'm just thin. I'm really thin now. I'm really healthy. And I got home and I, and I kind of, you know, looked in the mirror and I really knew that I, I just had lost, you know, something she was right. Uh, and I had to kind of reevaluate things. And that's when I started really very diligently going through everything of like toxins, light, noise, you know, all of these factors, air quality. And I, I was trying to, this house actually, I, we, I bought this house as kind of a model healthy home to try to prototype that experience. What's the healthiest environment that you can live in for not just health, but for human performance in your work environment. And uh, I, my anticipation would be air quality and getting rid of all the chemicals and so forth. And it turned out um, coming to this building, I would turn off a lot of the electrical and play around with circuits. And it turned out the electrical far, you know, by far was the biggest factor for me. And it made sense, uh, you know, but you had to really feel into the experience. So I could talk to you about this all day, but unless you're in the tent or you're in this building and you kind of feel into it and, and experience it for a little while, it's, um, it's kind of hard to believe. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> you did, and you had the motivation to find an answer and a solution. You eventually did. So I'm wondering how you found the solution. Did you do it through independent researchers? You have a, a clin clinical consultant that, sh that advised you, or how, how did you become or discover the, the strategies to eliminate the, the symptoms you were having? Uh, I first started out with uh, an EMF expert in Southern California. And um, I think he was the only one I knew in the area at the time, and he would come up once in a while. And he started measuring my home, and, and he recommended a meter. So I ended up getting like a, a, um, a magnetic, a, me a meter just to measure magnetic fields. Mm -hmm. And I didn't at the time realized this is one of the other mistakes. You kind of think it's just one meter and one thing. And it's really, you need to measure probably at least four things, if not, if not more. But yeah, four, yeah. Four is a good start. So I started with magnetic fields and I thought, well, I go around and, and actually, I think when you become sensitive, it, the magnetic fields are usually one of the things that are, are, are kind of a big factor because they go really through your body, um, like an MRI. Mm -hmm. So I would feel a magnetic field kind of in the middle of my head. 
And I had sat in front of a large 20-inch screen, you know, from early 90s to, you know, mid-2000s or so, early 2000s. I sat in front of a 20-inch monitor, which was a big magnetic field and a big um, electric field, kind of basically pointed at my head. And so maybe I became sensitive through all the years of that or, you know, the multiple variables for why you become sensitive, some genetic, some environmental. And we'll talk about some of that as well. I mean, I definitely had some dental stuff going on. I had a a silver filling touching a gold filling, which is a conductive battery effect. I had a dentist measure the connectivity, which he said was 10 times higher than my brain's connectivity or my brain's amperage. Um, you know, I had silver fillings, I had mercury in my mouth. Um, I had a root canal on this tooth. Mm. I had cavitations. And so, uh, one of my, some, of, some of my biggest immune system loads were uh, dental. So, yeah. and as those got repaired, my, um, uh, my sensitivity. Matter of fact, the last couple of years, I maybe it's about the last year or so, I really don't feel, I feel things. I'm still sensitive, but I don't react. I don't feel, I don't feel pain anymore. <clears throat> just feel like, oh, that's not an ideal environment. But, you know, there was a time, I don't know when the worst was, maybe 2009 to 2012 or 13. I was pretty sensitive. Yeah, I could, I'd drive by a cell tower and I'd feel it in my head. And, so you know, how, how long did it take you to resolve it? Was it a matter of months or was longer? You know, now I think we could do it pretty rapidly. It took me several years, I think. And I think some of the dental stuff was really holding me back, the root canal, I think, especially. Mm -hmm. um, let's see, so what happened? So I found an expert, helped me a little bit, and then I found, then a building biologist moved to the area, um, Alex Stadner, from, who founded Healthy Building Sciences. And uh, so then I started working with him in 2009 on a couple of different properties, learning more at that point about magnetic fields, electric fields, wireless. Um, and, and even after he started helping me, the, the thing that really tipped me over, I was still struggling a little bit. And the information that really helped was when Dr. Sam Milham came out with his book, Dirty Electricity. I, I was literally reading his book that day and I walked around and started you know, measuring things. And that was really, I think, the key tipping point for me was starting to manage dirty electricity. That was really affecting me at night. Complex topic, dirty electricity. I previously interviewed Dr. Milham uh, really is a pioneer and his book is, exactly. I think, an important read just from a historical perspective because he, he's a, a board certified epidemiologist and really has that science to evaluate the influence of electrical fields on the population of the United States, from the, which was primarily almost all urban initially for 50 years in the, the farm rural areas weren't electrified. So it's an interesting study that they didn't design by intention, but nevertheless uh, yeah. compiled some really intriguing results. Yeah, his, he's fantastic. I mean, um, he's done some great work. I, I funded a little a study that he was working on in schools, which was interesting. He wanted to measure neurotransmitters in children. And he was just looking for a little bit of funding to, to pilot this. Um, mm -hmm. And um, I basically what he found is that when he you know, he measured a baseline of the kids in school, and then he put in, uh, I think he put in Stetzer, measured Steth, measured with mm -hmm. a Stetzer meter and Stetzer filters, which he uses, uh, put those in, you know, retrofitted the classroom, and then he went back over several months and measured again, and he noticed that the neurotransmitters changed dramatically, and I believe the ones that changed dramatically, changed the most were dopamine and PEA, and PEA is related to self-control, so if you're a teacher, you kind of want your kids to have a little self-control just uh, a skosh yeah it's just a skosh and i think i would say even you know a lot of adults losing self-control right now sure. so and yeah so i think dirty electricity very key factor he really talks about um 
he gets into cancer a lot, but clearly a lot of immune system issues. My wife had a little bit of an issue with T cells for a while. Um, I was actually, one of the things you do is I was, didn't want to use wireless. And so I was using some of the Ethernet over power line adapters mm -hmm. about 2010 or 11, maybe even nine. And my wife was having my wife use that. And she went in and had an elevated T, count, T cell count. And they said, you know, we might have cancer. We want to check it in a month. And I was reading this book at the time and reading about elevated T cells. And I said, oh my God, I, you know, so I, uh, I switched that out and we, you know, did regular ethernet cable and other things. And um, the next time she had her T cells measured, she was within the normal range. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little more expensive to have a dedicated ethernet cable as opposed to using your power cables, but it's certainly a lot safer. So let's go back to the basics. You know, I mentioned the four different types of uh, EMF exposures, and I, I would assume that would be the radio frequency fields, magnetic fields, which you mentioned. I think is really that's the one I first became familiar with and personally tested. I had a tri field meter, and they're really easy to test. Uh, the accuracy is pretty good on most of the meters, unless you really have to be precise, but it, they're pretty, that's not a hard one. The other ones are harder to test, but the electrical fields, uh, radio frequency, magnetic, and then the dirty electricity. Exactly. So, yeah, so those are the four big ones, and they, there are some meters that combine them, but probably dedicated meters for each would be best. So why don't you discuss those and your journey through them? Um, yeah, I think, like I said, we, start, we started with, just like you, I started with magnetic fields, and when someone started talking about electric fields, I'm like, well, what are you talking about? This is, you know, so I think of magnetic fields just like, you know, a magnet. It's an a, electromagnet or something, there's a motor or something that's generating a, a magnetic field, just like the Earth's magnetic field with field mm -hmm. lines. And those go kind of right through your body. The next thing I started measuring was electric fields. And I think of an electric field like you could think of it as invisible lightning. It's like electrons trying to go to ground. Okay. And um, so a lot of things like, a, like a, a normal light next to your bed, even when it's not on, you could think of it as electrons leaking off the power line, basically, is another way to think of it. So... Um, they're leaking off and, and it, these field effects are kind of like wasted, wasted power, if you think of that uh, in, in that regard. Wireless, I tell people to think of it like it's um, uh, light at a lower frequency than you can see, um, and, but very, you know, pulsing very rapidly. If you could see it, you'd see it flickering and it would be kind of quite harsh. And, and you know, in these environments where we play with acoustometer and these meters that can translate it into physical noise, uh, a noise that you can hear, uh, you'll hear kind of a ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta with Wi-Fi and so forth. So these are kind of harsh flickering lights, um, and they also have a different polarity than natural, natural light or natural EMF. Um, and then finally, I think the other factor to look at, I would say that I looked at, I did magnetic fields first, electric fields second, I looked at dirty electricity, and I would kind of measured, you know, wireless a little bit, but I, I honestly was thinking that it was the last thing that I could believe that would be harmful because I <laughs> you didn't want to believe it. No, it's, it's, it's the last thing I did. I, and I, I, uh, I finally, we, we finally had an, an, an event at the Commonwealth club here in San Francisco where Sam Mill, Dr. Milham was there, uh, Joel Moshkowitz, a lot of the scientists in this field were talking about, I never heard a scientist speak about this. And they started talking about sperm damage and all these things just from wireless and all, you know, and halfway through the meeting, I reached into my, into my pocket, this is 2010, and turn my cell phone to airplane mode. And I haven't had my pocket intentionally in airplane, you know, on since then, basically. Wow, that's a, you're really an early adopter on that one. 
well, you know, or late compared, <laughs> compared to what I know. <laughs> you just, you know, you just you do what you do. Um, so yeah, that, I would say, honestly, it took me a while to, for that one to really kick in. And I still had kind of Wi-Fi going. I still had a cordless phone going. My, we were fighting with my wife and kids about having the cordless phone on and off and Wi-Fi and this sort of stuff. Um, so it took a while um, to get people to, to buy into it. I think my family still isn't totally... They'll, they'll, they'll go along with me most of the time, but you know, publicly they don't like to talk about this stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. so how would you prioritize them now you know, with respect to the potential damage they can cause to biology, if you can rank order them? You know, it's tricky. Um, I still think magnetic fields are pretty intense because they can uh, you know, go right through your body, unlike, you know, um, and, and to me, you know, we've had electric fields and magnetic fields for, you know, 100 years or so, but we haven't had, I've really been looking at autism and some of these other more modern things going on. So we've had magnetic fields, electric fields, but to me, it's the, the dirty electricity. They're, they are, I, I consider dirty electricity to be pollution of those fields. Mm -hmm. And um, the body doesn't do really well with these digital square waves. You know, our body likes analog things and kind of harsh digital signals they, they sound harsh to us. If you look at, listen to a square wave or a, a triangle wave or whatever. So um, magnetic fields with noise in them, especially. Um, so I think a lot of people have been measuring, some building biologists have been measuring magnetic fields you know, greater than 2000 Hertz. So our normal electricity is 60 Hertz. Mm -hmm. And when electrons accelerate and decelerate, they, they create a magnetic field and um, Ideally, you would never see anything above 60 hertz. You would just see pure 60 hertz, and it would be a nice sine wave. Um, and so I use this meter, a little measure above 2,000 hertz, between 2,000 and 100,000. And, um, and this is magnetic field, and we'll measure this. And it's very sensitive. It's even more sensitive than the, um, the meter you and I both have, that NFA 1,000. So really? Is this a new meter? This is, is gigahertz solution, clearly. It's same gigahertz solution. So here's the one you and I both have. Love yeah. this meter, great meter, but it's expensive. expensive. It's $2,000. Exactly, it's a little too much for most people. Um, you notice in this environment, I'm in, a sh I'm in a shielded room here. In this third of the house- Except I'm for the transparent windows. <laughs> unless you no, busted. I have, I have, no. Oh, they're, I, they're covered, okay. Normally they're, covered, they're so transparent. I have, I have film on those. I have okay. film on those. And this is a strange room. I'm actually getting hit by the same space radar that I was working next to, and I'm five miles away from it. And it was going through all the shielding. So the curtains you see right behind me are actually have shielding material on them too. So I use this office as a sleep lab too, like once a week, and so I'll sleep up here and get some incredible sleep. And I'll go to the you know, second level and I'll shut all the windows and close everything down, and then you'll get some really pristine, you know, you'll get some really pristine sleep and, and focus in this environment. So, so magnetic fields and kind of cleaning up that dirty electricity has been really helpful. Um, uh, yeah, getting rid of just big, big magnetic fields. So if you're sleeping near a transformer or an, um, a little transformer that you'd plug in or a power box, like a circuit breaker box, those are some big sources of magnetic fields. Electric or a refrigerator on the other side of your bedroom. The refrigerator, exactly. So those are some of the common sources. Um, and so... What we're telling people to do with some of these things is you don't even have to spend a lot of money. There's just, you know, we, if the term is off and away, my friend Wendy says. So you either turn it off 
or move it away. Mm -hmm. And um, every time with these, because these things, the field spread out in a sphere, every time you double the distance, you um, reduce the exposure usually by about 75%, whether yeah. it's magnetic field or um, uh, wireless signal or whatever. So, um, so I, I say you kind of create some space for yourself, usually at night. You really want to sleep well. This, the, one of the most common symptoms of too much exposure is, of course, sleep disruption, Martin Paul's paper. So I like to make sure people create space for themselves, kind of a non-electronic free zone around their beds. So the most common source of magnetic fields in a bedroom would be the, like an LED clock radio, really big magnetic field source. So kind of move that to the other side of the room or turn it off or use some, another source, like a battery powered one. Um, so again, start with magnetic fields, electric fields. Usually the most common source near the bedroom would be um, a plug-in reading light near your bed. And even when, again, when it's not on, it can be leaking off a big electric field. Um, the, the wiring in the wall can be a big electric field. That's a big factor in my bedroom. Again, if you're near a, um, a circuit breaker box in your bedroom would be, or, or um, the power, like a smart meter on the other side of the wall would be really bad too. It, you can't necessarily move those, but you could move your bed. Mm -hmm. You could move to a different room. Um, so there's just some strategies when you can't control it. If you can't turn it off and away, then but you can move away from it. So, so, um, and what, what we'll tell people to do, this is a quick protocol that Dr. Toral Yelter came up with um, here in California, mostly for autistic kids. But what you do is you turn off your, um, mostly the wireless sources in the house. So you turn off a baby monitor if you have one, that's a big suspect for us with autism. Um, cordless phone base station. The base station is constantly emitting like a cell tower. So you turn that off and your Wi-Fi off. You can just turn that off at night to start, ideally even more. And then what you can do is you could, at that point, you could still have dirty electricity and all kinds of stuff on your, um, in your wiring in the bedroom. So you could play around with turning off one or more circuits in the bedroom. So sometimes it'll be one circuit for the whole bedroom. Sometimes you might have one for the, the lights around the bottom, but then maybe, uh, or for the, the, the circuit around the bottom where you plug, plug the outlets in. And then you may have a separate one for the light. So go around and play with the, find those circuits. And maybe for a couple of weeks, turn those off and see how you sleep. Some people will find that they sleep better right away. Uh, and that'll help you without spending any money, see how much this is impacting your body. Yeah. So again, that'll kind of help you. That'll, that's a little, it's a quick and dirty protocol without measuring. That'll maybe give you a nice 80% solution. And then if it feels like it works out well for you, then you can either buy a meter or work with a building biologist or environmental hygienist or all these other experts. Yeah, and the, uh, those are great recommendations and it is simplified. The magnetic fields, in my experience, they drop pretty rapidly, as you mentioned, uh, and they're a lot easier to address, even though they may be the most significant. You yeah. know, there's, in, my, in my experience, they're pretty simple to mit, re, uh, remediate against because it's just identify, identifying them and avoiding them, and you can easily avoid them by moving away from it. But the others are a challenge. Oh, well, I have one comment on, on that LED light, what I like and use in my bedroom personally, because not only do you have the issue with the EMF from that LED light, but you also have another form of EMF pollution Exactly. is the light that comes out. Now, yes, you can get a red LED and that's not going to suppress your melatonin, but wouldn't it be better to have no light and be in complete darkness, which is what I do. And you can, it, it's an, on a really obscure website called uh, amazon.com. You can get a talking <laughs> clock that has a giant blue button 
that's like this big. You just hit it down and it verbally or and tells you what the time is. So there's no, it's designed for blind people. And you know, that's the way I figure out what time it is. Cause you need to know what time, you don't need to, but it's helpful to know what time when you want to wake worry, up. You'll worry if you have to get up, you'll worry. And you want to, yeah, yeah. you want to find out without having that light exposure. <clears throat> I totally agree. Yeah. But, so it's another form of EMF. It's, it's, it's typically not a dangerous form light, but it, it can be at the wrong time. Well, they both, they both suppress melatonin. Yeah. So, um, so it's a key factor. And I would say one of the things that we're learning more and more, one of the things coming into the bedroom is that people are plugging in their smartphones and using them as alarms. Because first of all, it's, it's easy. It's, it's really easy to set your alarm right now. You can say, hey, Google, set my alarm for whatever. Hey, Siri, set an alarm, plug it right in there. Um, but they usually have it charging and on right next to <laughs> So it's a worst case scenario. And then people say, well, I'm not sleeping well. I'm like, well, step one, I, the, I always say, you say, are you using your phone as an alarm clock? Uh, and it's usually yes. And so there's ways of doing that. I mean, you could, you could, you know, ideally put it in the other room and you have it jingle and you have to step up, but, um, I agree. Oh, you can put it in airplane mode. It doesn't have to be connected. No, and exactly. I will, yeah. yeah right. And right. people right. don't realize that. Right. And they're charging their phone because a lot of people need to charge their phone once or twice a day. But if, you, if you're using the phone like you and I do, mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I charge my phone once a week or less. Right. I mean, or, you know, less than once a week, typically. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't use it very much. I mean, I'm like you, I've kind of had an airplane most of the time, airplane mode. Although people need to realize now in airplane mode, it used to be you turn on airplane mode and all the radios would go off. Yes. But now you've got Bluetooth on, you've got Wi-Fi on. So you have to learn how to turn those on and off pretty quickly to, to, uh, to get things to work. And even if you do address those, the, the phone company and the surveillance companies have other things that are on that you can't turn off. So that's why I put my phone, it's next to my bed in case I need it for emergency, but it's off uh, and it's in, an, it's in a Faraday bag. <laughs> so I don't want any signals coming through that thing. Yeah, exactly. I, I did notice, like you're saying, I did notice I've got, so this room is completely void of any EMF. And then there's times once in a while I'll bring my phone up and I'll, I'll accidentally have it on or something and I'll, I'll measure and feel it. But there were times when I would be just double checking on my work and I'd have everything off. My phone would be completely off and I'd be hearing a little pinging. I'd get a little pop, pop, pop kind of thing. And I was, what's that? And it was coming from my phone. Uh, and it was my phone had, you know, find my iPhone on. <laughs> and it was, and it, you know, and it's trying to send out the signal. And, uh, and actually, I think I actually think I even had find my iPhone off and it's still sending out the signal. I noticed that it sends that signal out more when the phone is moved. So if the phone is stationary for a long period of time, just sitting there, you won't get that little beaconing signal, that surveillance or find my whatever that is going on. Um, and so, yeah, you can put it in a little bag or, or do whatever. But uh, yeah, that's you have to be pretty advanced to notice that stuff. And that's probably not a big factor for most people, but they should know that. Yeah. Well, the big one is keeping your phone on in your bedroom. That should be outlawed. Uh, I mean, there are, I guess, circumstances where you may need to have availability of the sick child or something, but those are circumstances are few and far between, not every night, certainly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, the, the, the problem with those radio frequencies is that they go out so far. And, and you could probably get personal anecdotal experience because you're a biological meter, which is more accurate than any of the meters you're going to purchase. But in my measurements, I find they go at least 30 feet or so, which is not the experience you find with electrical fields or magnetic fields. Yeah, no, you do find out. You, you, uh, I'm surprised how much a cell phone can impact. A cell phone, even on the other side of the house when it's on, can really impact the bedroom environment. Yeah. 
So I would charge my my wife and I would charge our phones um, maybe about 50 feet from our bedrooms. And mm-hmm. I've had times where my wife has left it on and I've kind of measured it. It's, it, it, made, it had an impact when I was really sensitive. Yeah. So, yeah. so 50 yeah. feet. Yeah. No, well, you, yeah, exactly. It, it, it depends on the phone. It always, I always tell people it depends what I'm shaking the, the desk. Yeah. But um, the other thing that people have been bringing to the bedroom a lot lately is the, um, the sleep, tra- the fitness trackers and the sleep trackers. A lot of them, like you and I've got the aura ring, which mm-hmm. can go in airplane mode and same with the, um, the Apple watch that can go into air, airplane mode. But a lot of people have had the, been doing the Fitbits and there's some other trackers that don't even have an option. And they're on 24 seven and some of them are quite, they, they say, oh, it's low power Bluetooth, but some of these low power Bluetooths are really high powered. Mm-hmm. And they're right next to your skin and body. And, um, and that's a big factor at night. Yeah, there's no question about it. And even some people who have the Aura Ring and are not EMF literate don't recognize that it, you have to put it in airplane mode. It doesn't do this spontaneously. They, they're getting it for a benefit, but they don't do the due diligence of actually putting it in a protective mode and then taking it out to get the data. So that's, that's a, a big concern too. And uh, yeah, th- so with those other fitness structures, you've got to stay away from them. And there's even other strategies to stay healthy like meditation. And I was using this Muse headband. Mm-hmm. which is a meditation app where it actually senses your brain waves and can help you yeah. change your brain waves. Well, it turns out it's right on your head and obviously it's communicating to your mobile device. And you know, when I, when I initially did it before used it before I had the uh, measure, measuring tools, I, I assumed it was safe because they were using low power Bluetooth. Well, I got their new version. They sent me this new version of the Muse two and I actually measured it. And there was like, it's like a minimum of like one to two volts and goes up to six volts, but it's only on your head. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I know I was, I was surprised. That was one of the things, just like, you know, we talk about all this wireless stuff. And the last thing I was denying was like Bluetooth. I'm like, ah, Bluetooth, you know, that can't be that bad. And, and especially Bluetooth in your car, Bluetooth on your head. Um, even I actually was running, I was running with a heart rate tracker. Same thing. With, you know, a, a one, and I've got now um, a Garmin that just will measure the heart rate off your wrist without broadcasting the signal. You, it has Bluetooth, but you can turn it off. So I'm happy. Nice. With that. So I'm happy with that. But boy, it will, this stuff will really, it really takes some effort to start avoiding this stuff. And, but what I can tell you is that there's a good return on investment for avoiding this, especially at night. Yeah. And the reason why that, that heart rate monitor and tracker is so important because it's going over your heart and there's two <laughs> tissues in your body that have the highest densities of these voltage gated calcium channels, which is where most of the EMF mediates their damage. One is the heart and the other is the brain. And you've really been passionate about uh, helping the autism community understand the impact of EMF. And I've heard you speak on this topic before and you know, from your perspective, I, as I understand it, there's two primary issues. Yep, vaccines play a role, but they're not as big as the two others, which would be glyphosate or Roundup exposure and EMF. So can you talk about that for a bit? Sure. I, um, well, I came into the community. I had two kids who were mildly on the spectrum. And, um, and but it turns out, you know, I, we treated them biologically. I had a great doctor in this area. You know, we started looking at toxins, toxic metals. And I was really focused on toxic metals and toxins in general and for environmental health. This was one of the last things that I came to. And so I want parents to realize that, you know, don't fixate on one thing, don't even fixate just on EMF. I want you to look broadly at all of these factors that are impacting health. 
that are increasing the rates of autism, child developmental issues, and, uh, and um, chronic health issues in general. Um, let's see, I got off topic here. So, oh yeah, so the, the different factors. Um, let's see, I tell, I tell, I tell, I'm trying to find a page in a book here, and I can't find it. Yeah, here it is. I, I found that parents tend to fixate on one thing when they're in this state. I think when you're in chronic health condition, you tend to fixate on one thing. Uh, there's a lot of fixation now on, on vaccine, vaccine ingredients. Um, again, that's a tricky topic to talk about, um, but people aren't looking at you know, the 80,000 chemicals in commerce, including pollution, mm -hmm. uh, EMF issues, and even lifestyle issues like getting a certain amount of sun and other factors. So there's a and that, lot. And that, that graph you're showing is something your organization put together? Yeah, as I put it together for my talk, I should, I probably want to redo it a little bit um, to talk about how much evidence is behind each one, which one is kind of suspect and which one is really solid. Um, it's from a talk called, uh, multiple talks I've used in. Uh, my latest one uh, is probably Simplifying Autism, Removing Barriers that I gave at AES. You were there for that. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to get people to realize that it's not one thing, and this is something Martha Herbert has you know, influenced me on. It's just moving towards total load, which uh, Patricia Lemer, who's wrote this book, um, Outsmarting Autism, is also, I think, really coined the term, is, is that even if you've got, let's say, even if you have a really bad gene or you've had a vaccine injury or something, bad oxygen, low oxygen at birth, and you've had some bad exposure in the past, it doesn't mean that you are you know, you're not, you don't get a get out of jail free card for EMF exposure. If anything, <laughs> if anything, I think this is one of my big mental lessons in this is that I was trying to focus on one thing because when you troubleshoot computers and everything, it's usually one thing, but our bodies are so resilient that by the time you see a symptom, you've really had multiple things fail. Like in can cancer, they always say you've really had about nine systems fail, redundant systems, and now you're into this. So, and now you're focusing on the last person that tackled you, but really there's all of this stuff going on. So, you know, everything, we need to be focusing on infections. We need to be focusing on mold, chemical toxins, uh, some of the dental stuff that we talked about um, and, and food allergies as well. There's a lot going on glyphosate. So I think that the two factors that are most suspect from a rising perspective would be uh, wireless and glyphosate. Um, yeah. glyphosate. Yeah, because because we've had the exposure, I, I, think, I think it was Zen Honeycutt's new book I was reading, and she had mentioned in there, and it, it's kind of obvious, we've had electrical field exposure for about 100 years or so. Right. Uh, and we didn't have this epidemic rise in the risk of autism uh, until like the 90s, and that's when the glyphosate and, and the radio frequencies and the wireless communications really started to exponentially rise. Exactly. And I would say yeah, late 80s, I would say, too. And, yeah. and that's when we started switching. And I, when I looked at it, I said, well, if, if wireless was involved in, in um, if EMF was involved in autism, what would be the, the consumer items that really changed? And, you know, first I, first I had Martha Herbert, uh, Dr. Harvard, review all the science. And she called me back just going, oh, my God, you know, blood, there's all this stuff going on. Basically, she wrote a paper uh, if you search for EMF and autism, you'll find her paper. It was originally 100 pages and 550 citations. It basically said the, known, the major known symptoms of autism match the, are, are known to be caused by EMF. So as she, she underplays it and says, it's plausible that EMF could play. <laughs> she's a, she's a <laughs> Harvard scientist. scientist. So what do you, you wouldn't expect anything less. 
No, exactly. That's, and that's perfect. That's what you should do. But um, so I started thinking, okay, well, as a, as a parent, what do I need to do? And, and if, if EMF did play a role, again, we've, we've had magnetic fields, and electric fields for about hundred years. Why didn't we have autism? Mm -hmm. And, but what we did, what, what changed in the mid eighties is we went from analog. We had cordless phones mm -hmm. in the seventies and eighties and so forth. But what changed in the mid eighties was we went to deck digital phones. So we went from these mm -hmm. nice smooth analog signals that our cells are used to dealing with to these pulsed square digital waves that can impact the calcium channels, can impact the vibrational receptors on the outside of the cell. Uh, and then we also switched to, um, literally went from power supplies that were these big power supplies to, that went from, from AC to DC. We went to these little power supplies called switching power supplies. Mm -hmm. And they chop up the power in a way that creates little transients. And what I tell people to think of this is like, you know, when you start and stop a hose and you hear a little bit of a vibration when the hose is starting and stopping, that's what electrical transients are. So that's essentially dirty electricity. So instead of having a nice smooth sine wave, you're getting all these little spikes. And, and those are biologically active, right? So those are small from a power perspective. The power companies think, oh, those are really nothing. But from a biology perspective, when your cells are running at 25 millivolts, those are quite large um, impacts. So, so I think that's really kind of the key factor. I think looking at switching power supplies and then in going to these pulsed modes and also for baby monitors going from analog to pulsed. And then more of this stuff is, is so that the, the devices are becoming closer to our body, they're becoming more constant and our power is getting more and more polluted by these things. So again, every time these things start and stop, they're kind of creating a kickback through the power system and almost creating, I would say like a, like a pollution or a digital pollution on the wiring. I've had some houses where I plug in a, a meter, a green wave meter, where you can hear what it sounds like, much like a stetsometer, and I'll hear a radio station, hmm. which is pretty crazy. So I'm currently in the process of writing my next book on EMF, which will focus a bit on 5G, but also try to seek to describe, consolidate the story and make it understandable. Uh, and in that process, um, I expand on the similarities between tobacco and smoking and, and cell phones. And in fact, I think it's pretty accurate to state that cigarettes are indeed the, or cell phones are indeed the cigarettes of the 21st century. So um, along that line, I'm wondering um, with respect to the wireless, Oh darn! I forgot. I forgot my train of thought there for a moment. You're about smoking. Know where you're going. I think we can talk about it a little bit. But let's talk about smoking versus wireless, and kind of what's the same and what's different. Yeah, yeah, that's a okay. good. Okay, let's because there's some interesting yeah, I, things. I wanted about. to go another point, but I, in thinking about the analogy, I forgot. But let's yeah. let's start with this. One. I did the same thing as that going to go. It's part of the part of the thing. Um, uh, so smoking, you know, you we, there's a, a bit of an analogy here. There's a concern about like you've got smoking and lung cancer. But smoking also increases the risk of a lot of other diseases because it's increasing oxidative stress. Mm -hmm. um, so that's similar. So EMF is, is creating more oxidative stress in the body. I would say one slight difference is that um, cell phone in the pocket is a big risk factor for sperm damage. There's about 30 or 40 studies on this showing um, decline in you know, damage to sperm, including DNA damage. And in autism, part of the part of the situation is um, de novo mutations, mutations that are uninherited. Um, 
so they didn't, this is a gene that was not in you or in the mom or in the father or the mother, and now it's in the child. And so we're looking for what are these factors that could be causing a de novo mutation. And some of, one of the suspects, of course, is cell phone in the pocket. And there's science to back that up. Um, and that mostly sometimes comes from the father's side. So we really do, as parents, um, the dads need to start taking some prenatal, pre-pregnancy responsibility for their, um, for their side of the equation and make sure that their um, sperm is not damaged and you know, mutated. So that's a big fact. So that's one difference is I don't think that there was a lot of sperm damage, you know, genetic damage associated with cancer. One of the other differences is in how the government plays in this. In cancer, at least we had the FDA kind of in the government and the, and the Surgeon General advocating for consumers. In the cell phone world, it's quite the opposite. The FCC is selling the licenses. This is the equivalent of, imagine the government was selling tobacco licenses. What would have happened? So the FCC is, is raising tens of billion dollars by selling these, selling air, basically. And they're not in a, they're not in, they're not a regulatory agency, really. They're really a sales agency in the commerce, uh, the commerce department. So they have the, they try to have the appearance of being a regulatory agency. They are not a regulatory agency. They've got literally like one guy looking at this and he's not empowered to really speak about this. Um, and the other factor is so that so the, the FCC, the government's really not on our side so much um, in that regard, at least the FCC, and the industry has, was a little bit smarter than the tobacco industry. Apparently, they, they, they realized that the science caught up with the tobacco industry, and so they funded fake science, basically. This industry, industry science is a great letter that the Nation article brought up from Motorola that says, we believe we've successfully wargamed the science. Um, but what was interesting, when I actually physically talked to the FCC, they had answers for all kinds of things. And when I brought up the sperm count, the sperm damage factor, I noticed things were kind of quiet. I actually didn't even notice during the meeting. It's just that when I was flying home in the airplane, I said, oh, they didn't, they didn't have an answer for that. They didn't have a quick answer for that when they were just kind of quiet. And I, then I realized that they didn't fund any, no one funded fake science on the sperm damage thing because they didn't think of it. So the weight of the science around the sperm damage is, um, is pretty incriminating, uh, and, uh, and that's, I think, a weak link. I think the, the cancer thing is easy for them. There's a lot of merchant to doubt ability in that realm mm -hmm. to confusion, but on sperm damage, it's pretty crystal clear and fast, and I think that's kind of the chink in the armor and, uh, and a weak area. Yeah, and, and the other variable, relating back to the tobacco industry, is that the federal regulatory agencies have this revolving door impact, and uh, as an example, Tom Wheeler, who was the head lobbyist of the wireless tele telecommunications industry for many, many years, was appointed as the head of the FCC. So if that isn't a classic example of the fox guarding the hen house, I don't know what is. Exactly. Uh, there's, I mean, how much more blatant example could you want? So, no, but, extending, but extending back to tobacco, we had the federal regulatory agencies sticking up for us. We had the Surgeon General, the, the FDA, the EPA saying that smoking was dangerous. Do not do it. But that yet the tobacco industry was able to is the, implement the emergence of doubt story that was discussed and create doubt, essentially. For three decades, they delayed it. Right. So we're not, we don't have that here. So it's going to, you know, unless people arm up and become informed, it's going to take longer, most likely, until there's a lot of people in the grave or seriously damaged as a result of this exposure. I'm, yeah, I'm with you. I really 
you know, just, I really thought as an advocate, the real strategy, it's not going to be a policy strategy. It's not going to be a government thing. It's really going to have to be a grassroots effort by people to take action to protect themselves and their, uh, I think, I think the good analogy would be the gluten-free movement. The fact that some people try something, I mean, who's behind the gluten-free movement? Nobody really. It's just that it worked for people. So yeah. if some of the things that we're talking about work for people, and I've had enough experience knowing that they do, but I want you, I don't want you, don't trust me or, or even Dr. Bullock, do it yourself, try it yeah. yourself, have the experience. If it works, uh, keep doing it and share it with your friends. And that is a movement that it's really hard to, you know, it's, it's when you have a personal experience, when you have a felt experience and you sleep better and you're sharper and you know, you know something that way, then that's really hard to refute. Now, you're the, almost the ideal person to ask this question uh, because you've had been personally exp uh, in, affected by this or impacted, and you also have quite a significant experience within the tech industry. And I'm wondering, uh, you know, it's a little bit different than avoiding gluten, which is relatively easy to do, and especially with the introduction of 5G, which is going to be pervasive. The major danger of 5G is just going to radically increase your exposure. It's unavoidable. I mean, it's unavoidable now for the most part unless you're in your home. So... I'm wondering, so we, we, it's just difficult to even, you can, you can inform the entire public, but you know, because of the convenience factor, we're not going to get rid of this thing. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are on making the technology safer. Do you think it's a technologically possible and do you think it's a practical solution? Uh, yes, no, exactly. The, the actual, as an advocate, which you, you don't want to fight against these big industries, what you really want is you want to focus on what you want. And it, wouldn't it be ideal if these things actually were perfectly safe as we assumed? Uh, I think that we're going to, step one is we're gonna start quickly avoiding them, especially at night. But uh, step two is we need to start making, very much like seatbelts in cars and automotive safety, safe technology has to become a market requirement. So it has to be something that we demand and ask for, especially in schools and in other environments where we can't control. So we have to start asking for reduced exposure. Um, there's a, a, a product in the market right now called Eco Wi-Fi. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's a special Wi-Fi where the firmware has been adapted so that you can lower the beaconing frequency. So um, the beaconing frequency basically says, it's, it's the thing that says, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And it does that about 10 times a second. That's the ta-ta-ta-ta sound you get from Wi-Fi. Now that can actually be dialed down to once a second and that, and that doesn't slow your Wi-Fi down. It just slows, you know, your connection is, you know, fractionally slowed or whatever, if not even at all. So it's barely noticeable. So your radiation can be reduced 90% by dialing that down to like once, once a second or even two or three times a second. And, and especially, so that's an easy thing to do. And I just found out too that a uh, company, Aruba, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is an uh, HP company, um, has a, an adjustable... Um, a setting for their beaconing system. So there's a, a school system in Palo Alto and we're working with them. We're going to try to, to lower down their Wi-Fi levels and we should be able to get their, they've already lowered their power levels down as low as possible. They've turned off Bluetooth in their whole setting. And now the next step we're going to try to take to lower exposure even further is to get that beaconing frequency down. And they're a little hesitant to do that. I'm going to have to loan them an eco Wi-Fi and keep working on that. Um, so, so we'll see. So, so definitely there are going to be some ways to, so to reduce the exposure, clearly these things don't need to be on all the time. That's just kind of laziness on our part and it's also wasteful electrically. So we want to start reducing the exposures on our end, but also on the, we start, want to start having things that kind of 
turn on and off, almost like your screen, your screen blanks and turns off to save power. There needs to be some, some um, signaling and, and protocols that start reducing all these, these beaconing frequencies that are going back and forth. Um, I do think also that there are some ways of, um, and I'm actually actively looking at this right now, I can't talk about it too much, but I, I think I can only say that we're looking at ways of making it safe, and we think that there are yeah. ways to make it safe. That's the key. You yeah. know, and, and I just wanted to give it a really obvious illustration, but most people aren't aware of it. When you have to charge your phone every day, you're recharging that battery, you're putting energy from the AC current into your phone. Well, if you're charging once a day, that all that energy has been dissipated and is dissipated primarily in the form of radio frequencies. And if you're near your phone all day long, you're being exposed to that. So you're essentially taking that energy from the wall, radiating it into your environment and getting damage from it. And that's why it's, it's one of the, you know, an obvious illustration, what, but explains the really high importance of putting your, air, uh, your phone in airplane mode at all times unless you absolutely need to use it. Exactly. And what people don't realize, too, is that people, you know, I just saw my dad the other day using his phone next to his oh. oh, my God. You know, so what people don't realize is that the manufacturers themselves don't test the phones right next to your head. They don't even pass the FCC if they're touching your head. And the FCC limits are not even safe. So you're and that's on thermal basis. Just based they, on they don't thermal. use biological safety limits with these. these yeah, it's basically like meat, meat cooking. Yeah. So you can literally get hot spots doing that and everybody does that. And it kills me when I see, and it really pains me when I see people doing that. To me, it's like watching someone smoking, mm -hmm. putting it right next to their head or their ear. So, um, you know, you don't want it right next to your body. You should read in your phone, um, go through, I think on the iPhone, it's like general, forgot it, gal, it's like general about legal. And then there's an RF section and it'll tell you, it's in, the, um, it's in the settings on your phone, right? You can actually see it. If you go to general, I think it's general, about, legal, and then there's an RF thing at the bottom there. It'll tell you, don't have it any closer than like point some inches or millimeters. Um, so the manufacturers don't test it as it's being used. And that's another big debate. And so please don't put it, don't put it next to your head and don't put it in your pocket. You know, put it in a, a purse or a backpack or put it mm -hmm. away from you when you're using it. And even I would say, don't even hold it. Uh, sometimes I'll use the phone and have it in my hand as a speakerphone, so I won't mm -hmm. have any. Which is still far safer. Far safer, but my hand would still hurt from yeah. holding. So really? I really. Yeah, my hand was wow. really sensitive. Yeah, exactly. Now it's getting less and less sensitive. That's another strategy. Is a lot of a lot of people become sensitive. They are only focused on reducing the exposures. But I would say too, um, also. Um, be, also strengthen your body's immune system, especially, you know, your pH and uh, antioxidants. And uh, I think I did Dr. Tennant's protocol is quite interesting. The healing is voltage protocol is an interesting yeah. protocol for, for strengthening and recovering from some of these things. Yeah, I, the, my favorite antioxidant is molecular hydrogen because it's hormetically, a hormetic antioxidant. It doesn't necessarily go in there and directly reduce it, but it, it causes your body to make its own through different pathways like NRF2 and and uh, NADPH oxidase suppression. So, you know, th that's a lot safer and uh, really wiser strategy, I think. Yeah, and I've been using that more and more since last year when you talked about it last year at the Bulletproof Conference. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I neglected to mention that in the intro. The, the way I met you for the first time, I'd heard of you, and we, we, we were both at the Bulletproof Conference in 2017. Are you going this year too? Uh, yeah, definitely. 
okay, good. Well, I'll hang out with you there. But we were going to, to the dinner at night with the speakers and VIP dinner. And it was a, a location that was maybe five miles from where the event was being held. So we had to take an Uber over there. Uh, and I had gotten one and I was heads, I was with someone else. And then you were like 10 feet away. I didn't know who you were. And he said, oh, we just come on and join us. We're in the car. You jumped in the top, front and I jumped in the back and then we, we got to talking. It was great. That's how I met you. Yeah. I mean, I knew at that point, uh, my, my friend Sabine, who was working on the film Generation Zapped had been working with you on the film. And so I knew, I knew of you and I could, that's why I wanted to talk to you about that whole thing. And yeah. So that's another thing to, so that's a great way for people to, um, to get an introduction to this topic is Generation Zapped. It's on uh, iTunes and um, Amazon right now and DVD. So that's a good topic. Great um, conversation starter for schools and, and different organizations. Yeah, that probably is one of the primary places where we need to place some activism because this is the future generation are the kids and they are so vulnerable. They, for, for anatomical and physical reasons, they're particularly vulnerable, more vulnerable than adults are to this radiation. And yet we're exposing them in this environment like eight hours a day. So, you know, it really, if we're going to invest some time, effort and energy, that's really a good one to do it in. In the schools, you mean, or in the kids? Absolutely, the kid. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's been one of the strategies to focus on reduction, reducing the exposures in schools. It's one of the, the things that's one of the areas that's featured in the film and one area that I've worked on for a while. It's, um, it's a complex area, though, because I think it's easier. I think schools tend to be a little bit laggard on things, um, even though they shouldn't be. They should be not doing things that are not evidence-based. And, you know, the evidence is not in a good position on this um, in schools. So they're just rolling this stuff out, assuming that it's been safe and tested and it's not. Um, so I think, I think you'll, you'll get the, the, the first traction will be at home, especially at night in the sleep environment. And then it's getting groups of parents together, um, you know, screening films like this, talking about it, and then coming to schools as a group. We found that if you go in as an individual, you kind of get dismissed, but mm -hmm. there's strength in numbers to come in with groups. Um, and start talking about these topics. I mean, people have been talking, people already know the schools are pretty sensitive about screen time. Um, and, you know, they think that this is even, they think that this is wilder than screen time. It's screen time is actually probably, it's definitely a factor, the blue light and all the addiction and so forth, but there's less science. Um, and I think less impact from my experience, less mm -hmm. impact, less science around those factors. And I would say, you know, screen time is maybe 10 to 15% of the, the equation and that the exposure is, you know, the wireless exposure is much more. Matter of fact, you can follow all the rules with screen time and still get hammered by a lot of wireless exposure and dirty electricity um, and not see any impact because of these kind of uncontrolled exposures that we really do. Yeah, that's a beautiful strategy. I hadn't heard that before, but it makes perfect sense that you hear it. So when you get this group of concerned parents together in the school, uh, how or where would you recommend that they go to this principal, to the school board, to PTA? You know, it's tricky. I think one of the successful, one of the fo successful folks in the country was Cece Doucette, who um, was like me. She was working with, you know, we had donated a lot of money to a local school. And one of the things they did with the money was they bought all new computers and Wi-Fi and routers. And I thought that was a great thing at the time. And uh, Cece um, is in Massachusetts and uh, <coughs> Helped. She was on a, the, I think she's chairman of a school foundation or whatever. 
And she realized, she started hearing about some of the science around wireless exposure and looked into it and then was a bit mortified. She says, oh my gosh, I've been working for years to push this on people and, and brought this in and now she's doing the opposite. And I'm a bit the same way. I, mean, I was pushing this technology on people and you know, have a conflict of interest. I still have, a, I've divested from a lot of telecoms. I still have some investments in this stuff. But I've switched from being, you know, all, all, you know, all tech is good to being, you know, having a more rational uh, view of this, looking at the actual science. And there's quite a bit of science. There are about, I think, over 20,000, there are over 20,000 studies on this topic. So some people feel like, oh. But show, show concern or documented. Know, there are over 20,000, I think it's over 22,000 studies. A lot of the studies, some of the studies are industry funded. Mm -hmm. uh, no surprise that the industry funded studies tend to have, um, you know, find nothing. Um, and that was kind of Joe Moshkowitz's way of look. Joe Moshkowitz is interesting at UC Berkeley because he came into this pretty neutral like me or thinking it was, you know, all fine. He had studied tobacco for decades or worked on tobacco as a public health official. And one of his students was looking at this topic or one of his researchers. And he started looking at the evidence and, you know, it was like, oh, oh okay, this is interesting. And it, it was good to have him in it because he was not biased in any way. He doesn't cherry pick things. And he kind of said, oh, this is the same sort of stuff. And he was also had years of experience working with merchant of doubt tactics. Mm -hmm. And he could kind of see what was going on here. And you need some of that, that skeptical ability that, that, that most of us didn't have when we started with that. So he's a great resource. His uh, website is saferemr.com, mm -hmm. Joel Moshkowitz at UC Berkeley. So, um, so yeah, these are, and he has, he has resources for schools. Uh, Cece Doucette, I think, has a website. I'm forgetting her. Um, her website's name, but if you search on her name, you'll probably find it. So she eventually advocated and got her school to put up a message saying that when the tech is not needed, the Wi-Fi system should be turned off. Now, do they do that? No, right? So, so step one is to, you know, kind of put up a label, get people to recognize it. But step two is to start dialing down these exposures. And, and it's become an issue for a lot, some parents who've had kids who are electrosensitive are having a hard time getting their kids in school and they're having a hard time being believed on this topic. So great. So uh, I think we've reached the end of the time that we had allotted for this, pre this inter the dialogue. And uh, so you've mentioned some resources uh, already, but would you like to add any additional ones for people who want further information? And I imagine, uh, are you speaking at Bulletproof this year? Uh, no, I'm not at Bulletproof. Okay, right. but you'll have, we have the EMF tent there? Uh, we're, Amanda and I are trying to get the tent in, but I think we're working on it. Oh, okay. If you're not, but then talk, you'll be a talk in Atlanta, right? Uh, I don't know if we're going to be a talk either. We're definitely probably going to AES and, uh, and Autism One again. Okay, great. Are you going to talk in Atlanta? Yeah, I will be there, yes. And what, when is that? I think it's in April. Oh, April. Okay, this year. Oh, that was the East Coast one. I think. Oh, yeah, oops. East Coast, yeah. We'll see. Let me, let me see. I'll add it to the agenda. We'll see if we can make it okay. work. Okay. But, um, right. let's see. but so any other I, recommendations? So let's see, we talked about Generation Zapped. Mm -hmm. um, I have some of the meters that we're working on. I'm working on simplified instructions for parents with meters and meters that we recommend. And those are on my website, clearlightventures.com or clv.us. They both go to the same place. Um, I have some wireless safety cards that we did. We hand out to parents at organizations that kind of give you some tips. And we talk about the different symptoms and some of the basic science. So it makes this a little bit more credible and a quick way to hand out to people. This is online on my website as well. On the front page is a link to it. So you can uh, print them out. And people can print them out as long as they don't modify them. I'm happy if they print them yeah. out and hand sure. them out. I appreciate that. Um, and we've talked about the eco Wi-Fi. So those are kind of my main things. Um, 
I've done also this, this booklet for if you've got any children on the autism spectrum, I did a booklet called Simplifying Autism Improvement and Recovery. It's a short little booklet. It goes along with my talk, Simplifying Autism and Improvement and Recovery, that's, that's online. You should be able to find that on my website. Um, my, my most race, recent talk on this is um, Simplifying Autism, Removing Barriers, where I put a couple talks together. And, um, and that should be a pretty good talk if you can find that on my website as well. Sounds great. All right. Well, thank you so much for the time. I look forward to connecting with you again in the near future. Yep. Thank you. Thank you very much.